Welcome to Truth and Grace with John and Mark. In this podcast, we tackle difficult issues related to living, loving, and leading in a broken world. We hope you are encouraged by today's episode. Welcome back to Truth and Grace with John and Mark. Always enjoy having you guys with us. We're thankful that you give us your time, and it's always good to be with my buddy, John Bailey. How you doing, man? Fantastic, and it is good to have everybody with us. And just to echo, man, it really has been great. We here lately. I've been having some people that have been watching the podcast Mm. and been blessed, and we're really glad that you're with us today. I believe today is going to be a really meaningful time of discussion. Absolutely, we're going to take a break today and do something uh, a little off uh, the schedule. Mm. So we've been doing this discussion about spiritual disciplines, but both you and I just returned from international trips. And today, we just want to give you an update on what God is doing around the world in some very different locations and some very different kinds of ministry contexts. So let's just jump right in. You just took part in two Fire in Our Bones conferences, one in Mexico City and then one in Cuba. What? Give me a couple of highlights on that. Well, and you know, and I want to say as well today, like, hey, we're going to give some testimonies. But along with that, uh, I really want you to know. We, I pray along the way that it really this time really ministers to mm. you and provokes your heart to missions. Uh, if you're watching today and maybe you want to just kind of give a message about maybe what God's doing in your own church, man, we want to see a spiritual awakening Absolutely. on this planet. And so, yeah, so we we're in two places. We were in. Uh, just outside of Mexico City, about a little over an hour, hour and a half outside of Mexico City. And uh, we had something about fifteen to 1,700 pastors, Wow, uh, which was fantastic. And then at night, we did evangelistic crusades with Nikki Cruz. And I got to tell you, like I, I love Nikki Cruz. And uh, when I was a pastor, he would come to our church and minister, and everybody loved him. Man, when you go to South and Central America, it's like— you know, Jesus, the Father, <laughs> the Son, the Holy Spirit. And Nikki Cruz. And Nikki Cruz. <laughs> and, and, I mean, they they have such a love and affection for Nikki Cruz. And it, most of you know, if you're familiar with World Challenge, our founder, David Wilkerson, went to inner city New York. Yep. He was a gang member, got saved. and David uh, Wilkerson was not a gang member. Yeah, David Wilkerson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, yeah he, was, he was in the Jesus gang. He was not in uh, yeah. But yeah, and Nikki Cruz was just so powerfully saved, and um, and now he's one of the great evangelists yeah. on the on the planet. And you know, on the first night we gave that he gave an altar call, we saw a thousand people come down and wow. make a commitment wow. for Jesus. I mean, the place was lit. And you know, he's like Nikki's right in his eighties, mm-hmm. and uh, we're at the altar call, and he is dancing and he's excited and shouting and he you know uh he you know he's obviously up there a few years in age but man he is so full of power and charisma in a positive way it really was just a powerful time That's great so i know but for the sake of the people listening in the mornings you're speaking primarily to pastors yes. but then during these events, you usually have a, an evangelistic meeting yeah. also. 
Yeah, and we don't always do that, but uh, especially when when Nikki is there, uh, he has he is he really functions in the gift of an evangelist, probably as well as anybody I've ever seen. I mean, he's in the you know the Billy Graham league. I mean, sure. it really just maneuvers in that gifting so well. And so, yeah, so at night we actually rented out, uh, World Challenge rented out a bullfighting ring. Okay. And that was the place that, I mean, when you wouldn't even notice it by the time we finished. It was just, just the place was full. We had so many people that were there, and a lot of people gave their life to Christ. I, I really believe there is going to be an awakening in that region. The people were so excited, people getting saved. But then the pastors and leaders, to have that many people, mm. pastors and leaders in one place, 1,500, 1,700 uh, pastors and leaders in, uh, in one area. And they, it was just, the place was on fire. That's wonderful. And one of the wonderful things, in, in my opinion, of World Challenge is that we're a non-denominational ministry. Mm-hmm. So we tend to draw people from all over the church spectrum. Yeah. And so we have people from all kinds of different denominations there. And that's what we really long to see. We're not looking for a, denomin- a, a revival or a renewal that just takes place in a denomination. We want to see the body of Christ revived. Yeah, it really is exciting, too. And when you see people move out, like you get the Assemblies of God people and the Baptists and the Methodists, they kind of get in their own little patches of grass and they do their own thing. But when, when we're coming in, we're asking for all of those people to come together and work together. And it's really fantastic. And I mean, we we have our doctrinal differences. Sure. We certainly know that. But when you get, you get the bloodline there and people that know Jesus and they're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the awakening that we need in, in these last days. And it was just powerful to see. We had people drive 14 hours in cars for 14 hours to drive wow. to the conference. So it, it was really... Um, Carter Conlon was there. Car- Pastor Carter is just one of the gifts to the body of Christ when it comes to pastors and leaders. And, uh, of course, Gary and myself. And uh, just just powerful times at the altar. Y- you literally, you, we walked away and thought, man, can it get any better? Like, it's just like heaven touched earth. Mm. And then we went to Cuba. <laughs> and Cuba was so powerful. And in, those are two, you know, for people who don't know, I mean, they're both Spanish speaking, mm-hmm. you know, but. But politically, very, very different. Lots of, you know, religious freedom in Mexico, not so much religious freedom in Cuba. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Mexico is definitely at this place an emerging economy. I I wouldn't necessarily call them first world, but um, you don't see as much deep poverty. Man, Cuba right now is Deep poverty. I mean, mm. I mean, the the um, they ration food. It's a sure. communist government, so they give rations, and like their rations are like four eggs a month for a family, and wow. enough rice for like you know, maybe maybe four or five days. And the people are literally there. I mean, they're really struggling, and so in that framework, you would think, you know, that the church is just you know discouraged and down. Man, then people are alive in Jesus. I mean, what a powerful yeah. time of people seeking God. I mean, I talked to a leader from the that does ministry in Cuba a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about here at World Challenge, you know, our, our sweet spot is where material poverty and spiritual poverty overlap. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the church in Cuba. And he said, you know, it's the church in Cuba is is robust spiritually. Yeah. You know, in some respects, we could learn a lot from them, mm-hmm. but but material poverty, both 
both in the church and in the community. Just yeah. rampant, tremendous material needs there. Yeah. No, it will. And you know, it's exciting. You have, you know, pastors there that are living on, you know, some of them 50 to $70 a month. A month yeah. And they're just very, very poor. And then when we're going, hey, how can how can we help you? And you would think that they would be like, can you give us just money? And and we did give them some money to sure. you know give to pastors that were in need or whatever. But their biggest cry was, can you help us plant churches? We want to plant church. We have cities that need the gospel. And you're going, hey, to people that are in that kind of material need, it's inspirational because in America we can be a little bit about ourselves and a little. Well, greedy. and we think money's the solution <laughs> to the first, the, our greatest need. Yeah, and it's not. No, and yeah. these folks, I mean, these brothers and sisters are like, we want to plant churches. Can you help us to plant churches? They they want us to come back and do equipping and training mm. with 3,000 pastors and four regions of the country. And they're communist. Like, I mean, we we, we, uh, we have to apply for visas to go sure. and speak. And it was funny because uh, Nikki Cruz was one of the speakers. Mm-hmm. So when, when it came up, they were a little bit intimidated because he has such a high profile. Sure. And in their context, what they get concerned about, and we can't say this openly in other platforms, so just, you know, hey, just kind of know we're, we're talking pretty straight and honest here. But, um, you know, it's a communist country, and so freedom of speech is not like it is here. Sure. Uh, whatever problems we have in America, trust me, <laughs> they, they have far greater problems for the church to navigate through. So uh, Nikki Cruz has this high profile, and they were worried that, like, hey, if somebody comes in and he's working across denominations, like, that could really cause problems for, like, a like a spring uprising mm. situation. So uh, so anyways, the leader uh, of the Assemblies of God denomination we were working with mm. went to go, you know, to, for the people doing the visas. And they were like, yeah, you know, Nikki Cruz, it could really be a problem for us. And the denominational leader goes, you know, he's almost 80. He's really old and feeble. Are you really <laughs> afraid of an old, feeble man? And so they gave him the visa. And so the the pastor was telling me in the first chance I had, I mean, because I love Nikki, but I love to joke with him. And I said, you know, Nikki, I know you're old and feeble. <laughs> that that brother is anything but old and feeble. He is, that, gets, is that where you got that black eye? I know, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I said that to the guy with the cross and the switchblade, right? So he could cut me. <laughs> well, didn't he like pull off a, a butter knife at breakfast yeah. or something? <laughs> See, I wasn't going to tell that story. But when, he, when, I, when I was tell, talking about how old and feeble, we were at breakfast and he had a, he had a knife. It was the butter knife, and he was like, you better watch it. And I said, you went from the cross and the switchblade to the cross and the butter knife. So uh, but he, he is, man, when that man stands on the stage to tell people about Jesus, it's like, I mean, it's, he's such a powerful mm-hmm. witness for Christ. And people just, I mean, they just run to the altars. Yeah. So we, we've talked about how the church in Cuba is strong, and these pastors are saying, help us plant churches. Where do you think that spiritual vitality comes from? You know, and sometimes I I know we talk about this quite a bit because I think theologically, sometimes we we like to in America to get away from pain and suffering and difficulty. Mm -hmm. But actually, if you go through Scripture, I think one of the great teachings in the New Testament that Paul had and others, they counted it a joy to suffer. Mm -hmm. And it's actually when you walk through moments of suffering, it just deepens that spiritual life and awakening. And these people have gone through real 
suffering and difficulty. The the you know the one pastor that that led things, he was just put in jail a few weeks ago uh, for preaching the gospel out on the streets. And they literally let him out of jail. And guess where he went the next day? To the same street corner <laughs> to preach about Jesus. And I'm like, come on, man. That, like, and, and, and through that, you know, the difficulty, the power of the Holy Spirit meets him in those places. Yeah. And, I mean, there is a fire burning. And so we just went along and th- with a little bit of lighter fluid, <laughs> Holy Ghost lighter fluid, <laughs> and just go, God, just burn yeah. in this nation. So You know, sometimes I think when we go to a place like that, the biggest thing we do is we just let them know you're not alone. Yeah. You know, it's not that they absolutely have to have us come, yeah. you know, but we, I, I do think there's a tremendous value in us going and standing with them. The church that's isolated and the church that, you know, from the rest of the global church sometimes to go and say, look, we know you're here. Yeah. We know that you're suffering. We care for you. We love you. We're with you. We're praying for you. And we want to learn from you. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I heard years ago someone that said something that stuck in my heart, stuck in my mind. They said, you know, you'll never know that Jesus is all you. What is it? You um, I never knew Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all All I I had. had. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. You know, and for these guys, that's really it. Yeah. You know, and we look at the situations that we're dealing with in America. We talked about, you know, fire in our bones and renewal for the church in the world. You know, we, we certainly understand that the problems we're dealing with in our own nation, we're not going to solve with human solutions. Yeah. You know, whether it's in politics or the church or wherever it's, there's no human solution to these problems. If God doesn't do something, we're toast. We're in a mess. We're already in a mess, and the mess is going to get bigger. And so we need a God-sized solution for a God-sized problem. Yeah, and, and, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the truth, the truth of it is, Mark, you know, I've, I find in America, everybody's like, oh, where we're at politically, and oh, we have this one or that. And I listen, I have my political opinions, and I'm, you know, I, I love politics and tend to have my sways and everything else when it comes to politics. But listen, when, I, when I'm walking into a communist country, I check all that at the door. When I walk through the airport, it's not about what your politics or our politics. Hey, there's America and there's Cuba, but there is a kingdom of God and there Absolutely. is a Christ that supersedes all of it. Yep. And we speak Jesus. And it is in that atmosphere that the church comes to life, sure. which is the solution to the political problems. Because if you get people saved and on fire, <laughs> the political issues start to dissipate. And in America, sure, I get involved in politics, but we need a spiritual awakening, which is going to be the real answer to take us sure. to the places that God wants us to be. Absolutely. Know? Yep. So, so and uh, you were just in Cairo. I was, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you did there and maybe what, you know, how, how is it right now as the leader of our missions mm-hmm. uh, here at World Challenge? Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what we do in missions and particularly what we're doing in Cairo? Well, you know, the the, the trip to Cairo was very strategic because it focused not on Egypt, but it focused mm-hmm. on that greater region. Yeah. Um, you know, our big we talk our two big things are planting the church where it doesn't exist and leaving behind transformed communities. Mm. You know, and so we want to see people we want to see not only we want to see everybody saved, 
Yep. We want to see the gospel proclaimed everywhere, but we give priority to peoples and places without the gospel. Amen. That certainly is most of the Middle East. Yep. You know, it's most of the Muslim world. You know, so you would have places where places and peoples where no historic Christianity. So 2000 years Christianity has never been present in certain contexts. Um, you have places where the church is persecuted. Yeah. Um, so when someone comes to faith in Christ, either their government or their family persecutes them. Yeah, can, can I ask you a question? Just a follow up to that yeah. for the people that are watching today, and I probably know a little bit of the answer, but you can mm-hmm. maybe give us a more sure. complete answer. A lot of people who are believers in the Middle East, uh, because it, most of the governments and the peoples don't have a problem if you were born in a Christian family and you have a Christian genealogy for mm-hmm. you know for years, and then you're a Christian, they really won't bother you. But where where they tend to have more issues is when you have people that are converts, that are converting from being Muslim to becoming a Christian. And I think that most of the partners that we're working with and engaging with are the people that are like, hey, thank God for the historical Christianity in these regions, but we want to see people come to Christ in in those areas. Can you maybe elaborate on that for us? Sure. Well, you know, this is the Middle East, so this is the historic seed ground of Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, so— even you know today, when you look at you, you read the New Testament, Jesus preached in what is now modern day Israel. He preached in Lebanon. He yep. preached in Jordan. Talks about the ten cities of the Decapolis. Mm-hmm. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. You know, he talks about that in the Scripture. So all of those things, those places, were places where Jesus did personal ministry. So the church has existed in these part these this part of the world since the first century. Yep. Um, and there are people today who still in that part of the world whose families have been Christians for 2,000 years. Yep. And so in, in most of those countries, that would be primarily um, Israel. Most of those historic peoples that w- would have been the Palestinians living there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lebanese. So Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, mm-hmm. Jordan, Iraq, and Egypt. Those are the countries where you have a historic Christian population. And Syria, I left Syria. Yeah. So those are the countries where you have a historic Christian population. In almost all of those countries, in all of those countries, yeah. there is religious freedom, mm-hmm. which means in those contexts, you are free to be a Christian mm-hmm. or become a Muslim. <laughs> you are not free to if you are a Muslim, to become a Christian. So nobody has a problem if you're a Christian and you want to become a Muslim. No, conversion is allowed right. in one direction. <clears throat> yeah, but if it happens the other way, then, then it's a problem. We're talking jail, prison, persecution. Yeah, there we have seen a trend in the last few years, which we're thankful for, that there has actually been a reduction of the number of governmental prosecutions and okay. imprisonments that we've seen of converts. However, we have not seen a drop in family community persecution. So somebody gets saved, their family comes after them. In worst case scenarios, there is physical violence, occasionally leading to death. 
in most of those contexts, when that happens, the government just turns their back and just ignores that it happened. Wow. And so the government is complete is, you know, it has a role to play in it, but there's there's not as much imprisonment and sort of things there used to be. Um, but so the trip to Egypt was to meet with one of our primary partners for security purposes. I won't mention their name, um, but they're a. You know, our our vision is to plant the church where it doesn't exist. Yep. So in Egypt, there is a large Christian population, mm-hmm. um, and we don't really engage that much in Egypt. We are engaged in one place in a remote location where there are three people groups that are unreached, not a single known believer amongst all three of these people groups. They speak a different language. So they all speak Arabic as a second language, but they have their own primary languages, and the gospel is never penetrated, these oh. people groups. So we are engaged with them. Um, what we One of the things I love is this is a partnership. So this, in, this thing that we're doing in this part of the country is in partnership with three different denominations. Mm. So we've brought three different denominations together. And it, interesting, I, sh- I, I want to make sure I clarify, we didn't bring them together. <laughs> we were the catalyst for saying somebody needs to reach these people. We brought in training and we invited all these people to it. And then so we set the table and they all have the buy in. But it. they bought in yeah. to the point of saying we're going to set aside. <laughs> so we got Presbyterians and Assemblies of God people working together to Praise plant the God. church where it doesn't <laughs> exist. Hey, if somebody is watching today, and just to give you some context, this is really amazing stuff. Like missions-wise, we're, we're, we're not just talking about going to poor places that, you know, is on the other side of the world. These are people who have never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus, to have a clear presentation of the gospel, and we're going to these near neighbors of of people who are they look like them. They're in the cultural context. We're training, equipping, resourcing them, and then helping to send them to places that these people that, that these people groups have never had a born again Christian in these people groups. And we are seeing the gospel penetrate that darkness. Listen, thank God for what happened in Mexico and Cuba. This is really yeah. significant, end times, amazing, biblical missions at its best. And I'm honored to know this man <laughs> wow. and the work that you guys are doing is just amazing. Well, and, you know, you and I both were cross-cultural missionaries. Yes. Now, you served in Ireland. You got the last name Bailey. So, you know, (laughs) you could have been from there. I look more Irish than the Irish pastors. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You know, I lived in the Arab world. Nobody ever thought I was from there. No, yeah. Um, You know, and so the the point being here is one of the reasons we work through near culture neighbors. It's Mm -hmm. not that we're anti-missionary. Right. That's not what this is about. But— we do want to be good stewards with our money and our resources. Yeah. And the truth is that the further, the shorter the bridge is between one culture and another, the easier it is for the gospel to carry over. So I spent 25 years serving in the Middle East. I mean, and, and five years serving in the Arab world and outside of the Middle East. So 30 years combined experience here. 
It took me 30 years to speak a language and still not be perfect by any means in it to learn the culture. And the day I left, I was still learning. And, you know, and all of those things. And even after I did all of that hard work, I was always an outsider. And I had great relationships there. Yeah. So as far as a, a foreign missionary, I had some of the best relationships there. But I was always... An outsider. You're still the American I'm guy. I'm still the American guy. Well, and we that's why we put so much energy into these near culture neighbors, yeah. because we're trying to build a local church that doesn't feel foreign. Well, and and just to put this in context for people that are watching, so we we live in Colorado. Lord knows this is the state where uh, pot is legal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and outside of, re- re- I mean, I'm talking recreational. Recreational, yeah. And then whatever else. A lot goes in Colorado. It's a it very does. liberal state in a lot of ways. But if we wanted to plant a church in Denver, would we be better to bring somebody from Nashville, Tennessee? Now, there's some slight differences, a little accent yeah. things or whatever. Slight difference, but they're still American. They still understand the culture. Or would we be better to bring somebody from Tanzania? Over to to start a church in Denver, you would go probably the guy from Nashville yeah. would be a lot more effective because he knows the culture, the people, yeah. how things work, how our culture works, even though he's from a different region. Now, if we were trying so, to plant a church in Denver amongst East Africans, <laughs> that's this validates the whole point. Then sure. we'd bring an East African because yeah. we're trying to find people who are close to culture. But we're not going to the Middle East necessarily to plant American churches. Absolutely we not. Want to go where the gospel doesn't exist and take the gospel there. And so rather than just taking an American and transplanting them there, we have these great people who train and equip, and we go to those near neighbors, and we help to instill with them the values, teach them how to do it. And then when they go, they understand the culture, the linguistics, and and now it's an it's a neighbor that's taking the gospel rather than uh, like a guy from Nashville Absolutely. And he's going to be far, they're going to be far more effective. So at World Challenge, it it really is a spirit-led, impacted way of going to these unreached people groups, and God is doing miraculous things. Yeah, I I talk about being strategy-driven and spirit-led. Amen. You know, there's there's not a conflict between having strategy and being spirit-led. Yeah. You know, you you read the book of Acts. Paul clearly had a strategy of, ha- you know, taking the gospel mm-hmm. from large city to large city. The only time he gets away from that is when apparently he goes down to Galatia and apparently that's related to some physical problems. Yeah. You know, but he had a very clear strategy, but he also understood in the middle of strategy, spirit has to override everything. Yeah, and I would probably make the argument as well that Paul had a spirit-led strategy. So a strategy is wrong if it's a man-made strategy, but if it's a spirit-led strategy. So I don't know that Paul sat down and went, hey, how am I going to do this? This is my strategy, and God, I hope you bless it. I think he was led of the Holy Spirit that took him to those places, and it was a spirit-led strategy. And it helped so much that he spoke 
probably seven languages, <laughs> yeah, and exactly. he was a Roman citizen, and he knew the culture, and he knew the places, so that when he stood in the in these areas like Athens or wherever it is, he had a great impact because he understood the culture uh, issues. So now it's just preaching the gospel, but he didn't have to cross the cultural areas. Yes, and the follow-up to that is— Paul didn't also write back to Jerusalem and say, hey, I've planted a church in Corinth. Can you send me some young men to pastor it? (laughs) He raised up Corinthians to pastor and Ephesians and Galatians. So he left behind local bodies that were locally led. Yeah. And I think that we can, I mean, listen, you're talking to a couple guys that are missionaries and I've worked as a missionary. Mark Renfro is one of the, to me, one of the greatest missionaries that I know. And I know a lot of missionaries. But one thing that, you know, maybe just to ask you this question, the most of, not not saying that American missionaries mm-hmm. can't be effective overseas. Yeah, sure. But the most effective missions work that's happening is when we empower indigenous people disciple them, help them to grow, take the passion and the, the heart that they have and begin to invest in that because they are the answer for the nation that the, 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 that they're working in. And most of the time, that's when missions is most effective is when the white Americans or missionaries from wherever they come yeah, from. Today, it's missions from everywhere to everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But the more that we can get in the background and we can take the national indigenous people and push them forward, the more effective that we're going to be to penetrate the gospel into the darkest places. Absolutely. It's why we don't plant World Challenge churches. Mm-hmm. We plant the church. And um, we empower local networks. So we are engaged in several different networks, depending on where we're at. Um, And one of the things that we're very keen about is in local communities, we want people looking to locals for, like, help. When I don't mean material help. I mean, when they're looking for spiritual leadership, they're looking to local people. They're not saying, well, I want to wait till Mark shows up. Absolutely. They're not saying I want to wait till one of our, you know, World Challenge regional leaders shows up. Those guys all bring value when they show up and they, you know, but they're encouraging and they're engaging with leadership. But the lo- people in those churches, they look at they, they okay, who's the white guy here today? We don't really, <laughs> we don't know. We don't care. That's well, our pastor. That that guy up there who's from us. Yeah. And that's what we're all about building. Well, and here's one of the reasons that that's important. And in a few weeks, I'm going to be in India. Yeah. And in India, most of the missionaries have been put out of the country. Very much more persecuted feel by the leaders, the 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 governments that are there. Yeah. And so, um, and so we just hey, God opened the door for myself and Joshua West to go there. And uh, and we've got about a thousand pastors that are showing up. I'm actually just for our sake here. This may actually show while I'm there. So uh, so we're going under a tourist visa, which I will be touring India, and then I'll happen to walk up on a stage <laughs> and and preach to leaders and pastors to to equip them. Uh, so there's a chance that we could get in trouble for what we're doing. Here's here's my point. Um, I say every place I go overseas, I said it to the Cuban people, hey, we're here for a few days. God sent us here to encourage you. We're going to get on a plane and we're going to go home. Yeah. God has called you to reach Cuba. 
God has called those pastors to reach India. Absolutely. And so so when persecution happens and missionaries get put out, if if we're looking for the missionaries to be the ones that are the leaders, yeah. then the gospel leaves with the missionaries. But if we can invest in those leaders in those nations and they rise up, then when when the the uh, missionaries are put out, the church continues to rise. Sure. Interestingly enough, after World War II, you know, a huge crackdown on the church in China. <laughs> and, you know, the, it's hard to know, but I think the estimation is maybe there are around 200,000 Christians mm. in China at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, all the missionaries are kicked out. Many of them honestly are arrested, mm-hmm. uh, put on a death march. Many of them died yeah. in captivity. Um, and, you know, so we went several decades where what we knew about the church in China was little. We knew very, very, yep. very little about spiritual, the spiritual church, the spiritual life in China. And so in the 80s and 90s, when things start opening up a little bit and mm-hmm. we started to be able to get some glimpses of what was going on inside of China, today we know at least 100 million Say that again. A hundred million. Christ how, how many? How many China. Christ followers are in America? I don't know what it is, but yeah, it we're ain't a hundred million. About nominal Christians. <laughs> we're talking about people who are Christ dedicated to Christ, Christ followers. You know, in China, and all of that's because it moved from being missionary led to being indigenous yep. people led, and that's why we do. That's the reason behind our approach here at World Challenge Missions. Yep. John, I, we, we're out of time, but. You brought up you're getting ready to go to India. Yes. This will actually air while you're there. Praise God. So I'd like for us to stop, and we're going to close today. Actually, I'm going to pray for you and your time there, but I'm going to ask the people who are watching and listening to this podcast to stop what they're doing when this podcast is over and take a few minutes and pray for you. Pray for Joshua West, who's going to be speaking with you. Yeah. And pray for those pastors. Yeah. They are living in some very difficult times. The yes. leadership of India has made it very difficult yeah. to be a Christ follower and to be a, particularly a Christian leader in yeah. India. And in addition to that, the largest number of unreached peoples in the world in is in the country of India. Yeah. And so, you know, these pastors... One, we care about them, but two, they are an amazing potential missionary force yeah. to reach their nation. Well, and to be honest with you, what we're doing is illegal. You you know that yeah, in the country it's illegal. And yeah. I'm also taking my daughter, well, and my second daughter. They're, we are yeah. they're on the media team here. Yeah. So they're coming with us. So I I hope you hear this. Like, hey, we, we get on and we talk a lot. I I really um want you to hear this. Like missions is something that beats in our heart. Yeah, this is something. This you, you can tell we get excited. Yeah, sure. I get excited yeah. when I start talking about missions and what God's doing around the world. And I would like before Mark prays, I, I would like to invite all of you that are watching today to go. Hey, I want to be one of those believers in the last days mm-hmm. that we are believing the gospel will be preached to every people, people group. And listen, that's what we're doing. Yep. We want to take the gospel to every people group and see the gospel spread. And whatever the cost and whatever we have to go through, we want to see Jesus move in our generation. So yeah. thank you for the prayers. We definitely need the prayer. And we're going to believe God for an outpouring of his spirit. 
And uh, we believe that we're going to see God do great things. Yeah. If I, if I didn't have a previously, <laughs> you know, I had a previous speaking engagement that prevented me from being able to be part of the speaking team there. And I'm very jealous that yeah. I won't be part of it. Yeah. So. We invited you along. Yes, so. you did. Absolutely. And yeah. when John is in jail, I will be here holding down the ship. So, no, yeah, crazy just enough. kidding. John, I do want to pray for you. Thank you. And I'm asking you guys to join us in prayer also. Father, thank you for open Jesus. doors. Thank Lord, you, we God. believe this is a God-oriented open door. Lord, I pray that John and Joshua and any others who would be speaking, Lord, will just Jesus. show up in the power of the Spirit. Lord, thank I you. pray for grace. Mm. Uh, Lord, I pray that even now, as pastors are still making decisions on their ability to attend, Lord, I pray that you put the right people in that room. Lord, I pray for those who are... F- dealing with logistics in a place like India where it can be a little bit chaotic. Lord, I just pray that all of those pieces will come together. Lord, I pray for every dynamic, but most of anything, Lord, we pray that Jesus will show up in the power of the Spirit. Lord, that lives will be changed. Lord, I pray for those Indian pastors, Lord, that they will be ministered to personally, but not just for the sake of being encouraged, but that they would be Encouraged, they would be filled with courage, Lord, to go and to take the gospel to the parts of India that the gospel is absent in. We pray particularly, Lord, for places like Kashmir. We pray pray for places like Rajasthan in the northern part of the country, this Hindu belt where there is very little gospel penetration. Lord, we pray for internal missionaries raised up in the Indian church to take the gospel, Lord, to the north. Lord, I pray that there will be an apostolic visitation that will take place at this conference, Lord, that people will hear the voice of the Spirit, just like happened in Antioch, Lord. They will hear the voice of the God, the Spirit, and they will say, set apart for me these men and send them out, Lord. We ask that you would do this. Be with John, be with Joshua, be with these two ladies going with them. Lord, I pray for health, for strength, for uh, all the things that are necessary for a successful trip. Lord, bring them back to us safely, and we look forward to being able to share a triumphant report about what you did during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mark. You betcha. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for joining us today as we just took a little bit of a hiatus from our normal talk to give you an update. We look forward to you being back with us next week. In the meantime, have a great week. Thanks so much for joining us. We know your time is valuable, and we're so thankful you chose to spend it with us. If you enjoy listening to John and Mark, you could see both of them in person at the Fire in Our Bones conferences. Their heart is to see your passion for God and your calling rekindled. Check out worldchallenge.org or the show notes for more details. John and Mark will be back next week to offer their insight into how believers can live, love, and lead well in a broken world. We'll see you next time.